It's Ephesians 4:25 through 28. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. We have been talking for, well, virtually all summer about what we would do if the world comes to us and says, bring something to us, Christians, that will convince us that your way is right, that there's some benefit to being Christian. And we've talked about all kinds of things that we have to say to the world. This morning, we're going to talk specifically about what do we say to the world about how they spend more time than in any other way. Because there's something, aside from sleeping maybe, that the world does more than anything else. What is that? Work. Of course they do. And we share with them this notion of work. And so this morning we want to talk just briefly about what it means for us to be Christians who work. And we're going to talk about this this morning. And then on Labor Day, on Labor Day, we're going to talk about it again. Some more things that have to do with what it means for us to work. Right now, what I want you to do is take from the back of the pew in front of you one of those little slips of paper. It'll say notes or it might be a prayer request card or something. And I want you to make for yourself a spectrum or a graph. And I want you to just take that piece of paper and on one end, you know, it's like a line in the middle with two ends, okay? A spectrum or a, or a graph, just quickly, just a one-line graph, two ends with a line in between, okay? Do that real quick. And then on that graph, I want you to place a mark where you think you fit with reference to your own perspective on work with the two ends being like this. On one end, I hate my job. And on the other end, I absolutely love my job. Most of us are in between there somewhere. And I want you to put yourself on that spectrum of where you are with reference to I hate my job or I love my job. If you're retired then you can just take the graph and put it away, okay? You've retired that graph. But there are an awful lot of us who are still in our working lives, and we're going to find ourselves somewhere on that spectrum. The average Canadian these days spends about 45 to 55 hours a week working. We'd like to think that it would just be 40, 40 hours a week, but not for most Canadians. Most Canadians spend between 45 and 55 hours a week working at their vocation, which means that just like the world, we spend more time doing that than anything else. Now, we'd like to think, well, I spend more time, our wives would like to think we spend more time talking to them than anything else during the week, but it doesn't happen. We'd like to think that we spend more time perhaps with our spouses than anything else during the week, but it doesn't happen. We spend more time with coworkers than we do with people we love, unless, of course, we 
love our coworkers. And we are people who work harder than people have in the past with reference to time. We are people who probably are more stressed out with reference to work than people used to be. And the dollar return that we get for our work oftentimes has gone down with reference to uh, how many hours we have to work in order to have the same productive wage, to have the same lifestyle, maybe is the way to say that, than what used to be. So work is for us a huge thing. It takes more of our attention, our relationships tend to be there, more effort, etc. Well, you know where you put yourself on the scale, and this morning I want to address that a bit. Now, you could be thinking to yourself, what could the preacher possibly know about work? Okay? Sometimes I hear that. Even now, it's not unusual for someone to come up to me and say, well, what do you know about work? You're the guy who works only one day a week. Now, if you've ever thought that and not just said it to me, still, shame on you. And so I wanted to just for a moment counter that idea. I'm not the guy who just works one day a week. And in fact, I'm a guy who actually gets only one day a week off. Today's not the day. I'm a fellow who always takes his work home with him. Be nice to think you don't take your work home with you. I always take my work home with me. I'm a guy who is on call lots. And I get phone calls at home frequently on a regular basis. And I actually don't mind that I do, by the way. But it does happen. Neither have I always been a full-time minister. I've been a landscaper. I've been a painter. I've delivered auto parts. I've worked in an auto parts store. I've done building maintenance. I've worked as an office clerk. I've been a dishwasher. I've worked in kitchen staff. I've been a fry cook. I've been a preparer of fine steaks. I've worked in a pizza restaurant, and I've been a farmhand. I've done roadside maintenance. I've worked as an assistant to a logging engineer building logging roads. I worked in a plywood mill. I've worked in the mental health field, including working with, you know, you see these people on TV now, the the hoarders. All these television specials have come up talking about hoarders. I've worked specifically with hoarders in the past. I've worked in a halfway house for recovering alcoholics, and I was once part owner of a bookstore. I've been an editor of government contracts for an aeronautical company. I've been a community college professor. And when I was 13 years old, I was a lobbyist for an environmental group before the Oregon State Senate. When I was 15, I harvested vegetable crops. I'm not a stranger to work. And so I think I have something to say. And I've also read the Bible and what it has to say about work. And then on top of all of that, I have occasionally talked to people who work in secular fields. Like, for example, the fellow who just this morning was here at the building early before all of you, and he came in crying. And he came in crying because he was reflecting on his own work life. 
And he listed a number of things that were going on at work, including his company just changing hands, and he, he may lose his job, and he has to retrain, and he has to take a bunch of tests, and he's not ready for any of that. And he doesn't want it to happen, and he was very upset. And he left here earlier crying because he was reflecting on his work life and all that that means. And I say that partially to say, this was a point in my outline this morning, but then it just came up so clearly this morning when he showed up. I say all that to say, I get it. When you feel the stress and the pain and what goes along in your work life. Sometimes what we experience in our occupational careers is not fun. It can be very difficult. So this morning I do want to reflect on this and say a few things about our work lives and how we as Christians need to approach this whole notion of work. Now the most common passage that we often look at with reference to work is one that we'll flip to, but I don't want to really go there this morning. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, if you want to turn there. But, I, but this isn't where I want to focus. In fact, it's almost like I want to avoid this particular passage this morning, showing it only as a, a kind of a backdrop or a, an antithesis to where I really want to go when it comes to what the Bible has to say about work. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I, I'm going to start here with verse 6. Does somebody have a pew Bible? What page is that? I didn't look that up this morning. Second Corinthians or Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse six. What, what page is that on in the Pew Bible? What is it? Eight thirty-six. Thanks. Now this is the passage that churches, that preachers always turn to when you start talking about work. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we commend you, bro- command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle. And does not live according to the teaching you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat." We hear that some of you are idle, they are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus to settle down and earn the bread they eat. Now, I think that's an interesting passage, and certainly there is a, a place for its application in our world today and even among Christians. But I don't think that's the biggest problem. Like, I don't know very many Christians who simply refuse to work. Now, I think Paul is dealing with a very specific situation in Thessalonica. It may be that the people there to whom he's writing are convinced that the Lord is about to return. And because they think that the Lord is about to return, they're kind of giving up their jobs. It's like the people who several years ago said, we hear that the second coming is at hand. So they sold their houses and they left their jobs and they went to some mountain in Arizona and they waited there for the Lord to come. He didn't show. I don't know where those people are today. I think that might be what's happening in Thessalonica. But I don't think that's our standard kind of experience when it comes to the church of Jesus and to Christians. There aren't that many Christians I know who are just lazy. There aren't many Christians I know who just don't want to work. Most Christians have taken seriously the call of God to be good citizens, good contributors within society. And even those who are not working want to work. 
And I, I hear that all the time, and I think this fellow that I talked to this morning is in many respects there. So where then do we turn for thinking about work and what it means? Because this takes up so much of our attention, so much of our time, so much of our lives. I would think the church would have something to say. So I want you to turn first to Genesis chapter 2. Very beginning of the Bible, chapter 2. And notice a couple of passages. Oh boy, I got the wrong reference written down here for myself. Now I'm going to try and find it. Uh, I'm so sorry. I wrote this down wrongly. Well, look at verse 15 anyway, and if it's wrong too, then I'm really in trouble. Okay, verse 15. I was going to go to verse 6, but that's not saying what I wanted to say. And I just can't make it say what I want to say. I, you, like if you know if there was any hint in that verse of any point I wanted to make, I would have come up with something. <laughs> verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you'll surely die. Well, what's interesting is that from the very beginning here, and this other verse I'm looking for says the same thing, that God gave humankind a vocation. He gave this person from the very beginning something to do, something to work. He puts him in the garden. He makes him a farmer from the start. And so he's supposed to work things and to take care of things, it says in verse 15. Now that's interesting because if you look at over at chapter 3, Verse 17, that's where we maybe are more likely to go when it comes to talking about work. In verse 17 of chapter 3, it says, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. That's how we normally think of work. We think that work includes with it some kind of significant curse. Like the ground and the toiling and the work and... Everything that goes into having life here is just a curse from God. But in my Bible, chapter 2 comes before chapter 3. And it looks to me like rather than work simply being some kind of curse, that work is actually a gift and a blessing from God. Now what he says in response to the fall is that work is going to be a lot harder because of the fall, than maybe what I intended. I put you in this garden. You were going to work it. You're going to keep it and care for it. And it was going to be a great blessing to you. And instead, there are times when now you're going to have to get by by the sweat of your brow. It's going to be more difficult because of the fall. We have made our situation worse. But that's not how work was intended from the outset. There's a different perspective on work from the get-go than what was there later on after the fall. Now that's interesting because in Christianity, one of the things we say is that we have a restoration now through Jesus in our relationship with God. 
God has restored to us some things. He has restored to us relationship with him. He has restored to us through Christ life in him. And I wonder if he hasn't restored now a gift kind of notion concerning work that was lost in the process of the fall. So that we receive not just forgiveness, but we may well receive a whole different perspective and opportunity through work because of what Jesus has done in giving us new vocation, new ideas about what it means to work in our world. Now, I think I can make a case for this. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. And again, if somebody, when you get to Colossians chapter 3, if you want to tell us the page number in the Pew Bible, that would be great. Eight thirty-four. Thank you very much. Colossians chapter three, and I want you to look with me at verse twenty-two. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Now that's an interesting passage. It's not uncommon for the New Testament to talk about slavery. And what's astonishing is that the New Testament typically doesn't call people out of slavery. There's, there aren't these strong admonitions in the New Testament that says, stop slavery. If you're a slave, get out from underneath it. If you're a slave owner, stop being a slave owner. We just don't find that kind of language. And it makes sense that we wouldn't. The world of the day was such that slavery was so much a part of their lives that to behave in that way was not going to do the church much good in response to that huge system of slavery that existed. Probably half the world were slaves at that point under Rome. What he does say is, be a great slave if you're going to have to be a slave. Now, I don't think, by the way, that Paul is therefore sanctioning slavery. I think Paul is simply saying, this is our situation. Here's how we should respond. Verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working For the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Well, when did we receive that inheritance? When did we become assured of that inheritance? Well, we were assured of that in Christ. Christ is the one who made us sure about this inheritance. And because we have in Christ that inheritance made sure, our attitude, he says, toward work is going to be different. It is the Lord Christ You are serving, he says, at the end of verse 24. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. And the point is, there is a whole new perspective that comes to the Christian about work because of our relationship with Jesus. You are not the same kind of employee in Jesus as you would have been without Christ. Your attitude about work, period, whether it's the tilling of the ground on your own or working for somebody else in a factory, is going to be different because of your perspective has been changed by Jesus. Work is clearly, and we saw this in Genesis chapter 2, by God's design. This is not an, an evil that we have to tolerate while we're here, but it's actually a gift. It's actually an opportunity. And he says in verse 17 that when one does it, they are specifically, he says, working for the Lord Christ. 
That's who you're working for. And so I don't know. It could be that when we made this scale a while ago, that you put over there, uh, left or right, I hate my job. And Kelly, if you would have put on there, I hate my boss, I'd be over there on that one too. If I hate my customers, I'd be over there on that one too. The people I work with can't stand them. There might be all kinds of things there that you can't tolerate when it comes to your work. And I'm sorry. I think it's, it's unfortunate. It's painful. I really am. I grieve for those of you who find yourselves in that circumstance where you look and say, I absolutely hate my job. And I better have something to say to you then. And I do. Because I think there are some ways to approach that that might be as productive as possible. One is for you to take seriously this notion that you aren't working for your boss. And you're really not working to make your co-workers happy. There's a sense in which you're not even working to make the customer happy, although the customer is supposed to be number one. The customer is not number one. When it comes to your work, Jesus Christ is number one. And when you work, you are working for Jesus. Now, is that going to make your boss all you want him to be or her to be? Nah, I don't think so. Maybe it will. Maybe it will have such a positive impact on that person and they will see your life and the way that you respond to them that they will, in fact, become a different person. I wouldn't hold out hope in every case for it, that that alone in your example is going to completely transform them, but it might. It probably will do much more for them than if you aren't that kind of employee. And so the first thing I would say is to recognize that you really do work for Jesus and I think there's something positive that can work in your life in that. Now, that doesn't do everything for everybody and I recognize that. It may be that your circumstance will still be miserable when you have been the best employee with the best attitude that you can possibly have and you know you're working for Jesus. And so here's another suggestion. Try and find work that you enjoy doing. If this was from the outset given to you by God as something that he expected to bring you joy as you lived in your relationship with him, as you lived out the tilling of your garden and taking care of things with what he's given you, if that's the case, then there's a semblance of joy that he wants you to have in working and you need to find something that you do that brings you some joy. And so if you're absolutely miserable and you hate your job and all the things that go with it, then I want to offer to you the suggestion that you venture out with the possibility of maybe working in something different. Now you say, well, I can't really do that. I've got all kinds of responsibilities. I've got a mortgage that I have to pay and I've got children that I have to feed and a family I've got to take care of and lots of responsibilities in society. And I get that. I have those too. But what's interesting is that so often the reason that we put ourselves in such a miserable position and stay there is not so that we can just support our family, 
not just so that we can pay the bills and the mortgage and all those things. Oftentimes, the reason we stay there is because we have allowed ourselves to accrue a whole lot of things in this world that we think we have to pay for. And there's a huge amount of debt that goes along with that. And we stay in the same position we're in because we've spent so much money getting all the things that we want to get. And so we've made a choice. And the choice is, am I going to be maybe reasonably happy in my work and really pleased with what I'm doing, even though I make less money and can't afford all the things that I think I need to have, or am I going to go ahead and keep spending money on all those things and live in that miserable job and hate it because I think these are the things I have to have? Now you tell me, which is the better position or the position that's going to bring me more life? The one where I'm ruled by all the possessions and work so hard to have them but find myself miserable because of it. Or the work that I do that I absolutely love even though I can't have all the nice things that I think I want. I think there's a pretty clear choice there. The problem is is that in our world, we keep hearing a different message. We hear it on the media constantly. We hear it from all the people on our street. We hear it from our friends and our neighbors and everybody else. They keep giving us the message that we've got to have all that. And they define success by having all that. But the Bible doesn't define success that way. The Bible says, you work for the Lord first. Scripture makes it so clear that... Even our vocation and our work is given to us as a gift. And I just can't imagine God giving us this gift and then saying, I'm going to make you as miserable as possible when I give it to you. And he calls us to a vision for something different. And I want to say this morning, seize that vision. Don't let the world determine for you what you're going to do as a vocation. Let instead God determine for you what you'll do as a vocation. Let the joy of the Lord, let the joy of Christ determine for you what you're going to do in your vocation. And if you can't have the joy of Christ in the position that you're in, there's a problem. Because from what I can see, the joy of Christ even the joy of Christ that he supplies us in work is of a higher priority to God than it is for you to have all the things in the world that you think you need. And I think that he will bless you if you make the choice to seek that joy in him. Now, probably for most of us, we can find that kind of joy right where we are. Most of us, I think, can do that. And I encourage you to see that vision first. But it might be that you even need in your life some kind of change in order for the joy of the Lord to work completely in you. So, view work as a gift. And if nothing else, recognize how thankful you can be for just being employed. There are an awful lot of people in our world who would love to have your job. There's an awful lot of people who would love to be employed and live in the place you live. We are blessed like no people in the world. God has poured his blessings down on us and it's a special gift for us for us to be employed the way that we are. Well, some more admonitions on Labor Day. 
some thoughts about work, but there are some that maybe will carry you through another week. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege of being able to work. God, there are people in our audience this morning who are unemployed, and they'd like to be. And Father, I pray that you would bring them work. I pray that you'd bring them not just work to do, but even work that fills them with joy. And for those who find themselves in difficult circumstances for hours and hours a week working in a job that they don't like or with people that are uncomfortable for them, Father, help us to have a vision for what it means to work for you. Help us to have a perspective that's transformed as we think about what it means to to work out this gifted life of employment that you've given us. And Father, when, when the burden of that curse just is so much, I pray that you would help us to have joy in you. Help us, Father, to depend on you, to be encouraged by you. God, you've given us in Canada a special gift where material things come to us easy, where employment in comparison with the rest of the world comes so easily, and we're so high paid and all those things. But Father, that can be a burden. It can weigh on us. Sometimes it causes us incredible stress, and it takes our focus off of you. So Father, work with us that even as we enjoy this great privilege, help us not to be swallowed up by it. Help us instead to be focused on you and recognize that you're the one for whom we're working constantly. Father, I put in your hands all these people who work in all kinds of secular fields, And I pray your blessings on them this week as they work not in their fields first, but first for you. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.